All major stock market averages suffered big losses on Friday to wrap up a week to forget for the stock market. As Jerome Powell reiterated the Fed's commitment to fight inflation, the economy be damned. Stock losses were also extended from a strong dollar, which reached the new 30-year highs against both the euro and the British pound. But if we look across the board, the Dow Jones Industrial Average closed down 1.62% on Friday, closed the week under 30,000, 29,590 is where we stand on the Dow Jones. The S&P 500, a lot of carnage there as well, finished the week down 1.72% on Friday. The NASDAQ as well, down 1.8% on Friday to cap off a very brutal week. And the small caps, the Russell 2000, down 2.48% on Friday. All of those losses coming despite a rally into the close as you had some short covering coming in, people buying stocks back before the weekend came in. I think that some of the uh, more uh, consensus now is that the market is going much lower. So you have a lot more investors are getting bearish on the market and on stocks. So that could open room for a relief rally in the next coming days. But I'm not convinced on that. We should see the markets trade down lower anyway, but I'll cover more of the stock market in a little bit. Bond yields also soared on the week. Again, a lot of the pain in the stock market is coming out of the bond market. But if we look at some of the treasury yields across the yield curve, a U.S. 12-month government treasury bill is now yielding 4.06%. That is an extremely high rate of interest on the short end of the curve for a 12-month loan to get 4.06%. And again, these treasury yields are considered to be the risk-free rate that we use to determine investment opportunities, right? Because if you loan money to the U.S. government, you're getting technically a risk-free loan because either the government can pay you back or if they don't have the money to pay you back as the bondholder, they can just print that money. So treasuries, again, in theory, are considered to be risk-free. But even if we go out further on the yield curve, a two-year government bond pays 4.2% interest. A five-year government bond pays 3.98% interest. And if we look at the U.S. 10-year, that is currently yielding 3.68%. And on a 30-year government bond, you're getting 3.61% as of the close on Friday. So again, we see that the yield curve is becoming incredibly inverted here. Again, I covered this in the past weeks. But on treasury bond yields, you're supposed to get a higher yield for a longer rate of maturity on your bond. But in this case, we see the yield curve is completely inverted. Again, looking at the one-year treasury bond, you get more interest on a one-year treasury bond than you would on a five-year, a 10-year, or a 30-year treasury bond. That is a complete signal that the markets are in recession now and heading for a much more severe recession in the coming months. Again, investors are getting extremely bearish on the markets. There's a very bleak outlook across the board. Every single analyst that I see on NBC, CNBC is very bearish on the markets now. Even some of the stock market bulls from three or six months ago are starting to capitulate and throw the towel in. So everyone is getting extremely bearish here and for good reason. Now, also on the week, oil actually closed below $80 per barrel for the first time in several months. Oil now trading at 79 spot 43 per barrel. 
Again, oil was down not only on a stronger dollar, but also on recession fears. And those recession fears are being signaled in the bond market and come after Jerome Powell's press conference on Wednesday. Gold closed the week down big as well. Gold dropped about 35 bucks on Friday alone. So gold is now trading below $1,650 an ounce. Those are new multi-year lows for the price of gold. Silver got killed as well. Silver now down to $18.83 per ounce. So we see there's a lot of pain in the markets all over the place. And the only thing that is working right now is cash. But all of the catalysts for these market moves in the past week was that another rough week for the markets came from the at the conclusion of the FOMC minutes and the following press conference from Jerome Powell. Now, on Wednesday, the Fed decided that they were going to raise rates by 75 basis points to take the Fed funds rate to 3.25%. That is exactly what the markets were expecting. And so that was mostly priced into the markets going into Wednesday. But what the markets may have not been expecting was for Jerome Powell to be as hawkish as he was in his press conference following the rate hike decision. So there were a lot of key points here. But the first point that I want to make is usually that when Jerome Powell holds a press conference, he comes out with prepared remarks that he speaks to the the country, the people that are listening. And those remarks are typically very hawkish. They're very uh, focused on fighting inflation. And then when Jerome Powell fields questions from the reporters in the room, typically he tends to walk back that hawkishness and he gets much more dovish and he tries to do some damage control for the markets and the weeks ahead. But in this press conference, he remained incredibly hawkish, not just in his prepared remarks, but throughout the questioning from the field of reporters as well. Now, Jerome Powell is projecting that the Fed funds rate by the end of the year should get to four and a half percent. Now, we only have about three months left for 2022. So that implies that we have another one point two five percent worth of interest rate hikes to come in the next couple months. And again, the markets were not expecting that the markets were expecting that the Fed was going to do 75 basis points this week, but then slow down in the coming months because they think that those interest rate hikes will put the economy into recession and that that recession alone will stop inflation. However, Jerome Powell indicated that the Federal Reserve is much more committed to fighting inflation than just going this 75 basis points and stopping. So again, the Fed funds rate, the overnight lending rate is supposed to get to four and a half percent by the end of the year now. And that is just the the rate of interest at which banks can borrow from the Federal Reserve and from one another. Remember, as these interest rates are going up, interest rates across the economy are going up for credit card loans, auto loans, personal loans, corporate loans, small business loans across the economy. Interest rates are going up and the the. Powell also projected that the Fed needs the housing market to slow down as well as the economy. He finally admitted in this press conference that in order for the Fed to get inflation under control, there is a need for an economic slowdown. There's a need for a recession. There's a need for housing prices to slow down. There's a need, quite frankly, for the stock market to go down. Because again, you can't have asset prices rising and expect for the consumer to stop spending. A lot of the consumer spending that's occurred over the past decade 
is due directly to the fact that asset prices were rising very rapidly year after year after year. People felt wealthier, and so they were out spending more money in the economy. Well, the Fed needs that to reverse if they're going to get the consumer to slow down. They need the consumer to slow down if inflation is going to slow down. But Powell, for the first time, actually admitted this in a press conference, and I think that really spooked the markets. That really started the exacerbation of the sell-off in the S&P 500 on the week. When Powell first started speaking in his press conference, the S&P 500 started rallying. The second he mentioned this, that they actually need the economy and housing to slow down, the S&P 500 immediately reversed and went down more than 1% in the final trading hours of the Wednesday session. But again, this is what I've been saying all along. It's just that this is the first time that the Federal Reserve has actually acknowledged that they their interest rate hikes are going to actually slow down the economy. But even more importantly, Jerome Powell mentioned that he doesn't care if the economy slows due to these rate hikes because the Federal Reserve needs the economy to slow. And so they're going to continue on, uh, even if we head d- deeper into a recession, regardless of what's going to happen, they are going to continue to be committed to fighting inflation. Now, he actually said that we need people also to start losing jobs, candidly speaking. He mentioned to Steve Leisman, who asked him about the labor market, hey, you know, what what is going to happen if unemployment starts to tick up here? And Jerome Powell mentioned, well, we actually need the labor market to slow down because part of the problem with inflation is all the wage increases that have occurred over the past few years. As long as people are still highly active in the employment market, And as long as people are able to get wage increases from their employers, inflation is going to continue to rise for the foreseeable future. So the Federal Reserve actually needs to damage the labor market to get inflation to come down, which, again, I've been saying. But this, again, is the first time that Powell actually acknowledged this to the public. Another thing that absolutely scared the markets on Wednesday that led to the markets continuing to sell off throughout the rest of the week. And again, the markets had a very bad week throughout the entire week. Friday was very bad also, but the losses were getting extended day after day after this press conference. Now, reporters did actually criticize Powell for looking backward towards uh, or looking at inflation data that's looking backward. And a lot of reporters mentioned that the consumer price index is a backwards looking metric on inflation. We're looking at things that happened in the past. And just because consumer prices rose in the past does not mean they will rise in the future. But again, that is cherry picking the data. First of all, the CPI data is much worse than people think. But second of all, there's a lot more data that shows that inflation is going to continue to get higher moving forward. And even though you could mention that the CPI is backwards looking, There are a number of inflation data metrics that are forward looking that are actually getting worse as we move into the later half of this year. And I'll cover that in a little bit. But the reality of the situation is the Federal Reserve made a policy mistake during COVID by being too easy. They lowered interest rates to zero percent again. They printed a ton of money. They expanded their balance sheet. They artificially lowered interest rates across the broad spectrum of the economy and flooded the markets and the economy with liquidity and money. That policy mistake led to this inflation that we are experiencing now. If they are going to correct that mistake, they have to remain serious in their inflation fight. They cannot give a half-hearted effort here. And you have to understand that because Jerome Powell and because the Federal Reserve 
understand how bad of a mistake they made in their policy errors in the last two years, they are now going to try and overcompensate to fix those errors moving forward. And so if that means breaking the back of the economy to make sure they get inflation under control, that is what they are going to try to do. Now, they are not going to continue in that commitment if we have a severe recession, because then there's going to be a lot of political pressure for them to stop in their rate hikes. But until we have that severe recession where you have unemployment levels climbing to seven, eight or nine percent, then the Federal Reserve is going to be emboldened to continue on this rate hiking policy to get inflation under control. And in reality, again, the Federal Reserve has a dual mandate, both maximizing employment and providing price stability. Well, currently, the official unemployment rate is still at 3.7%. As long as that unemployment rate stays low percentage-wise, there's no reason why the Federal Reserve is going to back off its second part of the dual mandate of price stability, because again, that is the only one of two of their dual mandates that is out of whack right now. So again, the Federal Reserve is going to remain committed to fighting inflation, and the markets should not look for any reason for the Fed to pull back again until we get a super severe recession, which is going to force the Fed's hand and force them to slow down on their inflation fight in order to save the economy. But Powell continues to believe that the labor market is much stronger than it actually is and that the economy will be much more resilient to these interest rate hikes than it actually will be. Now, there's an analogy going around that what Powell is doing is the Federal Reserve over the past two years with their highly stimulative monetary policy was driving a car speeding down a road at 80 miles per hour. And now, now that they see inflation, they are raising interest rates at a very quick pace and they are basically slamming on the brakes to try and get this car to slow down while it's driving 80 miles an hour down a road where it's raining and it's wet and slippery. And by the way, the roads are completely icy and Powell's trying to turn the car and slam on the brakes at while it's at 80 miles an hour and that he's going to cause a huge crash in the economy, so to speak, metaphorically. And so by the Fed going this fast in their rate hikes, that they are going to do some serious damage to the economy. I agree with that completely. Again, it takes some time for these interest rates to make their way throughout the economy and cause the rippling effects of slowing the economy. I mean, it's not normal for the Federal Reserve to raise interest rates like this by 75 basis points at a time, which they've done in each of their past few meetings. Normally, when they do interest rate hikes, they only raise by a quarter of a percent or a half a percent would usually be considered a very big raise in one meeting. But now again, they're going 0.75% at a time here. And they're putting some serious strain on the economy. I mean, even if you look at the housing market, which I'll cover more in a bit, the housing market has slowed dramatically over the summer as the Fed has been raising interest rates. But it's going to take some time for these rate increases to actually affect economic activity. So some of the economic activity that we see slowing, like again, the, the housing market, the labor market, that slowdown is from interest rate increases that happened a few months ago. So the interest rate increases that we've gotten over the past two Fed meetings have yet to even make their way through the economy yet, which means that there's a lot more pain come November and December this year 
And so that's going to severely slow down the labor market, severely slow down the housing market. And if those two markets slow down dramatically, this recession is going to get much worse as we head into the winter months. Now, one thing I also want to explain that that I don't actually think I've talked about on the podcast is how the labor market actually works with a lag to monetary policy. So as interest rates rise, that typically weakens the labor market. But the labor market is usually very hesitant to lay people off at first, right? Employers don't want to lay people off because one, I mean, you want to keep your business expanding. You want to continue to grow your operations. But two, when you lay people off, it's very expensive to replace those workers in the future, right? Because when you have to hire new people, you got to train those people. There's a lot of costs associated with hiring new workers, right? You, you would rather keep your experienced workers on board if you can afford it. So whenever we do head into a recession, typically speaking, the recession occurs. And then six to nine months after the recession occurs, then you start to see a lot of layoffs from companies as they recognize that they have no choice but to lay people off because the economy is contracting. Well, I think that's what you're going to see here. Remember, we've been in recession now since January started this year. So we've been in a recession for about nine months as of right now. And to this point, the labor market has held up relatively well. Now, I think part of that is that a lot of retirees are coming out of retirement and going back into the labor force to combat both inflation and their portfolios, their retirement nest eggs getting completely crushed in 2022. I think you're also seeing a lot of people are taking secondary uh, part-time jobs to try and make ends meet because the cost of living is so high. And I think all of that is helping to keep the labor market looking stronger than it actually is. But I think in the next month or two, we're going to start to see unemployment numbers pick up substantially. I think we're going to start to see non-farm payroll reports come in monthly very low, if not getting negative numbers and losing jobs in the economy. Because again, these interest rate hikes are now making their way through the economy. It's making it much more difficult for corporations to borrow money to continue to fund their operations. It's making it much more difficult for consumers to continue to spend. And so that slowdown is going to cause a rippling effect throughout the labor markets. And that is coming in the next couple of months. Now, we did get some economic data on the week. Not that much uh, important data came in. We did get building permits and housing starts on Tuesday. Building permits came in less than expected. We were expecting 1.6 million building permits. Instead, we only got 1.52 million. And housing starts beat expectations slightly. We were expecting 1.45 million housing starts. Instead, we got 1.58 million. But even if you look at these overall numbers, the numbers have come down dramatically. Building permits and housing starts were at much higher numbers one to two years ago. So the housing market continues to be at a very slow pace. In fact, again, I know a lot of people that are trying to sell their homes on the market right now. They've had their houses on the market for a month, two months, three months. They still haven't been able to sell them. A lot of people have had their homes on the market at these high bubble prices that were going on sale a year or two ago, and they have not come to the realization yet that if they continue to price their home for the price they would have expected to get it for a year ago, 
then they are not going to be able to sell their home because mortgage rates have gone up so much that people can no longer afford to pay these extremely high prices for homes. So again, housing, the housing sector is slowing down a lot in general, but pretty soon we're going to have a pretty severe correction in the housing market as more sellers are going to drop their prices substantially. But again, most people can't afford to buy houses right now, even if housing prices drop substantially. So again, there's a complete slowdown there and the housing market is getting hit from every direction. Thursday, we got unemployment claims. Initial unemployment claims came in at 213,000. Again, that's about where initial unemployment claims have been coming in steadily for the last several weeks. Over the past six or seven weeks, we've gotten a number anywhere from 200,000 to 250,000 initial unemployment claims. So the labor market, again, has been weakening steadily, but again, it hasn't completely dropped off a cliff the way I expect it to. And I think any month now we're going to get big initial unemployment claims coming in, and we're also going to get a lot of layoffs coming in a lot. We're going to lose a lot of the jobs that were created over the past year or two because businesses are going to have to contract their operations, prepare for a more severe recession, a, a slowdown in consumer spending, and a slowdown in the economy in general. Friday, we also got Flash Services PMI and Flash Manufacturing PMI. Those both came in slightly above expectations. So that shows that while the economy is slowing, again, the economy is not slowing enough to create the demand destruction the Federal Reserve needs in order to fight inflation. And so if the Federal Reserve has not created demand destruction yet, that means that while the economy is slowing down, inflation is not going to slow down over the next couple months. Now, a point on that is that also when you have employers uh, hire people, if they have to increase wages for the people they're hiring or for the people they're already employing, say wage and wage costs increase for a company by 30% in a given year. And right now that is the case for a lot of businesses. A lot of businesses have experienced in the past year their wage costs and labor costs have gone up by 30% or more. Most businesses cannot pass that 30% increase in wages onto the consumer all at once. So if you're selling a product, say you're McDonald's, and instead of paying workers now uh, $12 or $13 an hour, now you're paying them $16 or $17 an hour, right? If you have that type of an increase in your business costs, you can't necessarily raise the prices of a Big Mac by that much all at once. So what McDonald's is going to do is little by little, every few months, they're going to raise the prices of their food items by a few percent until they make up that 30% cost increase in their wages. So the point is, is that as bad as inflation has been over the past couple of years, you still see that businesses have not passed on the full extent of their costs to customers, and those cost increases are going to start coming here in the next six to 12 months. Again, a lot of these wage increases, a lot of these business input costs have to be passed to customers, but they don't always necessarily get passed on to customers at once. And so that, again, bodes very poorly for future inflation. But it makes the point that even though the Federal Reserve is now starting to get more committed to fighting inflation, they're too little too late. Inflation has already made its way into the economy. There's an old expression, you don't let the inflation genie out of the bottle. And that is because once the inflation genie gets out of the bottle and into the economy, 
it's impossible to put that inflation genie back in the bottle without severe damage to the economy. And again, as I've mentioned several times on the podcast, once certain prices in the economy go up, they never go back down. Again, wage costs, once wages go up in the economy, they never go back down. Once rent prices go up in the economy, they never go back down. There are several different aspects of inflation where they are very sticky in the sense that once the inflation occurs, it never goes away and never reverses itself. So again, the the Fed is already too late to stop this inflation problem, this inflation from spiraling out of control. But they're, they have no choice but to at least try to stop the inflation. But what they're going to do is their interest rate increases are going to kill the stock market, kill the housing market, and kill the economy, but they're not going to kill off inflation. So the Federal Reserve has put themselves in a situation where it's a lose-lose situation because if they just sit back and allow inflation to run completely out of control, then that inflation will kill the economy. But if they have to actually do something to fight this inflation, then that inflation fight is what's going to kill the economy. So again, there is no reason to get long stocks here or bullish on stocks, especially the high price growth momentum stocks, because the momentum is very clearly to the downside now. And that is not going to stop any time in the foreseeable future. Again, as I mentioned, we might get some bear market rallies here and there. But overall, the markets have to head much lower from here either because of the higher interest rates, which are going to kill the markets, or because of the high inflation, which will kill the markets. Either way, it's a lose-lose situation. Now, we did get some earnings reports this week that I want to cover real quick. First, General Mills reported earnings beat on both the top and bottom line. They're raising their dividend. They're increasing their share buyback commitments. And the stock was up 5.5% after it reported earnings, finished the week up 5%. This was actually one of the only stocks in the entire S&P 500 that closed the week positive on the week. But more importantly, what was coming out of General Mills earnings is that they are continuing to expect a 14% input cost inflation for the rest of 2022 and the first half of 2023. So over the next 12 months, The CEO and CFO of General Mills expect to have 14% more inflation in their business costs moving forward, and they express that they are easily passing those higher costs onto their customers. General Mills, in the next 12 months, is planning to raise their prices again. Again, this is one of the companies that I've been talking about that has the pricing power to pass higher costs onto customers without losing sales volume. They do it in a number of ways, right? If you think about their cereal products, if you can, if you have a higher cost of producing your cereal, you can do one of three things. You can raise the price for the cereal, you can put less cereal in the box, or you can make a bigger box giving the impression there's more cereal in it, but put the same amount of cereal in it. And so either way, you can use a combination of those three things to pass your added costs on to customers. And Either way, customers are going to pay those higher prices because customers have to buy food. They they sell a low budget food item, right? And they have a bunch of products other than cereals, but all their products are low budget food items that people need to buy. And so they can easily pass their costs on to customers. But again, if General Mills is expecting 14% more inflation in the next 12 months, that is 14% more inflation that the consumer is going to pay at the grocery store every time they buy these items. And again, they still see continued high inflation. They see 
continued supply chain disruptions, and they, they are being impacted in their production, and they are passing those added costs to customers. But again, you have to look at these businesses as one of the safer places to be. Because again, if people have to spend more on food, maybe they have less money to spend on a weekend getaway or on a new car or on new clothes or new electronics, right? People are going to have to start eventually cutting back in other areas of their budget to be able to continue to buy the necessities, especially as credit conditions tighten. They are going to have less of an ability to swipe their credit card to be able to afford this stuff. So again, General Mills is in a prime position to pass their added costs on to customers. Now, Darden also reported earnings. Darden is the restaurant chain. They own a bunch of restaurants. Their two most famous restaurants are Longhorn Steakhouse and Olive Garden. Now, they missed earnings on lower sales and higher food and transportation costs. So very similar to FedEx, what is going on here? They are missing on revenues because people don't have as much money to spend on discretionary items, but they continue to see higher transportation costs and higher food costs. So that, again, is a stagflation narrative that I've been saying. Just because the economy is slowing and they are seeing a decrease in their revenues in the restaurant business does not mean that the input costs for that business are going down. In fact, those input costs keep going up. So if you look at it from a perspective of Darden, either one of two things is going to have to happen to this stock as we move over the next several months. Either one, they're not going to pass higher costs on to customers and they're going to have lower profit margins, which means the stock has to continue to fall. Or two, they are going to pass higher costs on to customers, but that's going to cause them to lose sales volume, which again, then will cause their stock to fall. So either way, again, these discretionary stocks, these cyclical stocks that depend on a flourishing economy, you have to fade them. You have to sell them because they are going to continue to have massive problems moving into the future, both with their profitability and with passing higher costs on to customers, right? And one of the key points for Darden is the demand for the company's two largest chains, as I mentioned, Olive Garden and Longhorn Steakhouse, fell way short of expectations expectations during the past three months. The CEO said that inflation is weighing on their customers, particularly the households with incomes under $50,000 a year. And that is their typical customer, a person who makes less than $50,000 of household income a year. So again, these are the businesses that cannot pass higher costs on to customers. So therefore, they have to eat those higher costs, which are going to eat into their profit margins and going to cause those stocks to go down much further in the future. And again, not only does a stock like Darden have to deal with the fact that interest rates are going up and likely going to shrink their multiple, but again, their earnings are likely to contract as well. And so there's two main reasons for why stocks like this are going to continue to fall in the future. Now, we did get some good news out of Costco this week, which reported earnings. Costco reported higher revenue of $72.09 billion, which was slightly above the expectation uh, that analysts forecast of $72.04 billion. Uh, earnings per share rose. Uh, they beat on the bottom line. They were expecting to earn $4.17 per share. Instead, they earned $4.20 per share. So they had a slight beat there. But again, Costco traded down on the week, was down about 5% on Friday alone after this earnings report. 
Now, again, they beat expectations slightly, but like a lot of U.S. stocks, this stock is priced at a very expensive valuation. They currently trade, even after this week's decline, at 38 times earnings, which is a very, very big multiple to put on a business. And if you're going to have that big of a multiple, when you report earnings, it's not good enough to just barely beat the expectation. You have to beat the expectations by a long shot if you want your stock to continue to trade higher. So again, even though they beat on revenues and on earnings, they still saw their stock decline by 5% this week because again, it's not enough to just barely beat expectations when you have a multiple on your business of 38 times trailing earnings. Moving to the housing sector, we got some earnings came out of KB Home and Lennar. KB Home, shares of uh, that stock slipped 5.1% after the company reported earnings that disappointed Wall Street's revenue expectations. So the company reported earnings of $2.86 per share, uh, and they barely beat the expectation as well. But again, their their forward guidance was very poor. The housing market's getting hit from all over, but especially the home builders. Again, the cost for building new homes has skyrocketed. Now, the cost of building a new home has come in somewhat as lumber prices have traded down, steel prices have traded down, but still materials prices are still significantly higher now than they were a couple of years ago. And again, we've talked about the wage issue. It's extremely expensive to find labor to build these new homes. And with mortgage rates as high as they are, and I'll cover that in a second, there's no uh, demand anymore for people to buy new homes because people can't afford to buy these new homes anymore. And again, that's with the economy at full employment. Once these unemployment rates start to pick up, the home building sector is going to completely demolish, right? But if you look at shares of Lennar, Lennar beat on expectations. Their shares rose after they reported earnings. But again, a lot of these earnings expectations have been taken down so much for these home builders because of all the problems going on with the housing market and especially the new housing market that they're, for them to beat expectations here is not really that impressive because, again, these, these earnings expectations have come down so dramatically. But look at mortgage rates. A 30-year fixed rate mortgage I talked about last week was at 6.2%. Now, mortgage rates on a 30-year fixed mortgage are 6.62%. So we're, again, we're going up very high, very quickly. uh, And every week, it's like we're adding on another half percentage point to these mortgage rates. But again, this 30-year fixed rate mortgage at 6.62%, that includes people that have the best credit quality out there. So again, the housing market is going to com- come to a complete slowdown here. Mortgage rates are rising very rapidly, very quickly, week after week after week. But look at some of these home builder stocks. I mentioned KB Homes. Their sales are down 50% year over year. I mean, that is a huge decline in sales year over year for an industry. Again, the economy is still at full employment. We're just barely starting this recession. Mortgage rates are going to continue to rise. Again, you have to stay away from these types of stocks here. And again, as the housing market continues to slow, think of all the economic activity that's going to slow with it. You have a lot of jobs that come out of that sector, whether it's real estate agents, mortgage brokers, refinance people, banking activity, uh, home renovations, construction, right? There's so many 
different jobs that come out of the housing sector. If that sector really starts to implode, which it's going to, and it's already come to a slowdown, but it hasn't completely imploded yet, the economy is going to head for a much more severe recession moving forward. But look, look at the way the markets are trading. Now, it's very important to understand institutional investors have sold here, but individual investors have not. So what do I mean by that? Again, as I mentioned this week, it's very noticeable that a lot of institutional investors are getting very bearish on not only the economy, but on the stock market. So you have a lot of institutional investors have been selling, but individual investors have been continuing to buy. I mentioned the ARK Innovation Fund. Over the past six months, this fund has received net inflows. So you have a lot of millennial buyers coming in and buying stocks here. What's happening is you have a lot of millennial investors. They are taking the approach that, okay, we have a very long time horizon. So let's just come in and take a bunch of risk here. Stocks are down significantly from one or two years ago. So we're getting bargain prices. Again, just because a stock was priced at say $700 per share, and now it's priced at $240 per share today does not mean you're getting a bargain. Because the fact of the matter is that $700 per share price probably should have never existed in the first place. So you have a lot of people coming in, buying the dip. They think they're getting bargains, but the institutional investors, the smart money on the street is selling. They are selling into those individual individual investors buying. A big part of the individual investors that are buying the market is also from passive investing. Again, we still have the economy at full employment. So we still have a lot of people contributing to 401ks, to IRAs, building their retirement nest egg. Again, they're buying what they think is the dip. Again, most people are conditioned to believe that when the market goes down 10 or 15 or 20%, you automatically buy it because by next year, the market will have recovered all of those losses because that's been the status quo as we've had very easy money over the past decade and a half. But we are transitioning to a period of very tight money. We are not going to have the same type of stock market environment in the 2020s decade as we did in the 2010s decade. Again, a lot of these stocks, they're not going to see their all-time record highs for another 10 or 15 years probably. But look at how stocks reacted this week. The healthcare stocks on Thursday and Friday held up very well. Uh, a lot of the consumer staple stocks, again, held up relatively well. But a lot of the more higher price stocks, the higher multiple stocks, all got clobbered this week. And again, this is a lose-lose situation on stocks. Because either stocks are going to go down or we're going to get a few bear market rallies in which the Federal Reserve and Jerome Powell is going to have to step in and provide more hawkish commentary to get the markets to come down. Again, as I mentioned, part of the Fed's inflation fight is they need asset prices to stay low. They need them to come down and stay down because that's going to get people to stop spending money, which is going to get businesses to stop passing costs on to their customers. Again, I mentioned Darden before. Over each of the past two years, Darden has been able to pass higher costs on to their customers, even though they're a discretionary business because people have been able to swipe credit cards to pay those higher prices. People also got stimulus checks and extended unemployment benefits that allowed them to pay those higher prices. Now that you're taking all that away, the only other thing that's going to cause people to continue to spend above their means is if they see their stock portfolios or their housing, uh, their, their housing uh, asset value going up. 
That's why the Federal Reserve needs asset prices to come down. They need to reverse that wealth effect to get people to stop spending. So again, this is a lose-lose situation on stocks in general. But moving forward to the Federal Reserve and their fight on inflation. Yes, they raised interest rates this week by 75 basis points. But more importantly, they barely are shrinking their balance sheet. I've talked about this several times, but the Fed is the biggest owner in the world of both U.S. Treasury bonds and mortgage-backed securities. Now, the reason they own those mortgage-backed securities and those Treasury bonds is because over the past decade, they have printed money in order to buy them. And now in order to fight inflation, they have to sell those assets to collect the money back out of the economy and shrink the money supply. But they are barely doing that. Now, we got the Fed's balance sheet numbers on Thursday, as we usually get. Now, on Thursday, they shrank their balance sheet this week by 0.18%, which is barely a dip in their balance sheet. I mean, they have almost $9 trillion uh, of assets on this balance sheet. If they want to make a dent in inflation, they have to get it down to five or six trillion. Again, they're barely selling anything here, but they bought more assets in the past week. So including the prior week in the last three weeks alone, they've only shrank their balance sheet by 0.06%. So again, they are barely making a dent in selling these bonds and selling these mortgage backed securities into the market. Now, again, when they sell these assets into the market, that is going to cause interest rates to go higher on both treasury bonds and on mortgage bonds. Now, again, treasury bonds and mortgage bonds are rising rapidly with even with the Federal Reserve buying these assets. But even with the lack of selling, which is more important, these bond prices are going up and the bond yield or these bond prices are going down and the bond yields are going up. So again, imagine how much pressure is going to be on the mortgage market if the Federal Reserve starts actually selling its mortgage-backed securities the way it's supposed to to fight inflation. And that's where I continue to say, as hawkish as Powell is, he's giving a very, very half-hearted effort to fighting inflation. And part of that is because the Federal Reserve has to know how dependent this economy is on artificially low interest rates. But a big reason for the spike up in mortgage rates this week, as we found out, the biggest seller this week of mortgage-backed securities was China. China owns a lot of mortgage-backed securities and U.S. Treasury bonds. And as I've been saying, there is a huge threat that with the Federal Reserve threatening to sell all these securities off into the markets, that the Chinese and the Japanese, which own a lot of these instruments, are going to sell them onto the markets first to get ahead of that Fed selling and get better prices on those bonds. So again, bond prices are getting clobbered here, and that's why interest rates are moving higher, but it's because the Chinese are starting to dump their mortgage-backed securities on the market. And the Chinese have to know. And again, they're not really friendly with the United States. They have to know that if they start selling these treasuries off and selling these mortgage-backed securities off, they are going to cause bond interest rates and mortgage rates to rise substantially in the United States. That is going to put a lot of pressure on the United States economy. And you have to figure that the Chinese are welcoming that pressure on our economy moving forward, because again, the Chinese have the fastest growing economy in the world, and they are trying to take the United States as the major economic superpower. And they have the power to really drive our markets lower 
which is exactly what they're doing by selling these mortgage-backed securities. And again, I expect more selling to come out of there in the next several weeks. Plus, if the Fed starts selling their mortgage-backed securities, we could see mortgage rates get to 9 or 10 or 11%, possibly by the end of this year, or at the very least in the beginning of next year. And again, as bad as the housing market is slowing now, it is going to slow down much more dramatically over the coming months. But, you know, with this, we have a lot of downgrades coming out of analysts. You know, I saw like this week, for example, Block, uh, the payments platform dropped 6% uh, this week after there was a downgrade from uh, from one of the major sell-side analysts. You have a lot of analysts are slashing their price targets. Like, for example, on Block, the uh, Mizuho dropped their price target from $125 a share on Block to $57 per share. Now, that's where Block currently is. So analysts are telling you what has already happened. This is not helpful at all, of course, to investors. But look at how crazy some of the uh, price targets were at the beginning of the year. Now, we started the year with the S&P 500 at 4,796. Most uh, analysts had their target for the S&P 500 to be at 4,800 by year end. So most investors were expecting the year to be flat for stocks. Some were expecting a slight rise in stocks. But again, we look at the S&P 500 now, it's at 3693. So we're down 23% exactly year to date since the start of 2022. Yet all major Wall Street analysts were expecting the stock market to do incredibly well this year. Jim Liebenthal changed his S&P 500 price target this week to 4280 down from 4800. And he says the facts on the ground have changed. The reality is nothing has changed. We're going into a higher interest rate environment. We have inflation is killing the economy. The economy is slowing. The middle class is burdened by higher prices. There's nothing changing in this market. But again, it just shows you how wrong a lot of these analysts are. I mean, in order for Jim Liebenthal to maintain a price target of 4280 on the S&P 500, that would mean we would need to see the S&P 500 go up 16% from here in the last three months of the year. Now, that, of course, is likely not going to happen. But again, you still have stock market bulls like Jim Liebenthal and Tommy Lee think the S&P 500 is going to get back close to the all-time highs by the end of the year. Again, we're already nine months into this year, and these people still don't get it. Tom Lee hasn't even changed his year-end price target. His price target on the S&P is 4800 If that was to actually happen... That would mean stocks would have to go up 30% from here by the end of the year. So that's 10% a month for the last three months. Again, that is not going to happen. The S&P 500, again, down 23% on the year. Look at the NASDAQ. The NASDAQ is down 31.3% on the year. In just nine months, the NASDAQ has been cut into two-thirds of what it was before. Again, these stocks have a much longer way to fall. If we look at the treasury market, the TLT is now down 26.75% on the year. And I talked about this in the beginning of the year. This was the most obvious thing ever, that interest rates were going to rise substantially this year on bonds. That was going to kill bond prices. And that crash, that implosion in, in bond prices was going to cause an implosion in the stock market. And that is because at the beginning of the year, I understood 
just how reliant the stock market was on low interest rates. The stock market, along with the housing market and the rest of the economy, cannot handle higher interest rates. So as we continue to move up to four and a half, five percent, six percent, seven percent on these bonds and on these mortgage bonds, the economy, the housing market and the stock market is going to continue to sell off and go much lower from here. The market cannot handle higher interest rates. Now, the pre-pandemic high on the S&P 500 was about 3380. Right now we're at 3693. So that would imply if we reach the pre-pandemic highs on the S&P 500, which I'm confident we will, that would imply the markets have to go down at least another 8% from here. But again, I think the markets are going much lower than that. Even if you look at a chart of the uh, 12-month expansion in the stock market and decline in 2008, you put that next to a chart of today's last 12 months in the market and the charts line up exactly the same. We are headed much lower. Again, the economy cannot handle higher interest rates. Again, we are at full employment right now. The stock market is still getting crushed. We still have consumer spending holding up very well. Again, stock market still getting crushed. And we still have prices going up for input costs for businesses, as mentioned by Darden and General Mills. And again, the Fed's balance sheet is shrinking. If you look at a chart of the S&P 500 from 2009 to 2020, it's a straight line up and to the right. Well, so is the Fed's balance sheet. The Fed's balance sheet is the only reason for why stocks had made that huge move over the last decade, because the expansion of the Fed's balance sheet has allowed interest rates to remain artificially low. And again, the lower interest rates are, the higher multiples can be on businesses and on stocks. And so that has caused for a huge rush into stocks and risk taking from investors. All that is going away. But even if we look at how the stock market has traded over the past three months, if we want to know where we're headed for here, from here, Apple over the past three months is up 7.6% and Tesla over the past three months is up over 15%. Now, both of those stocks make up about 9% of the entire S&P 500. So as bad as the carnage has been in the markets over the past three months and over the past six months, two of the top five stocks in the market have actually done extremely well, which means that if those stocks start to roll over, the market is going to get absolutely crushed from here. And believe me, if Apple starts to trade lower, if Tesla starts to trade lower, a lot of other stocks are going to follow them. Look at like Amazon, Facebook, Microsoft, all down on the past three months. But again, if Apple and Tesla fall out of bed, these stocks are going to follow and the market could head much lower from here. Again, Apple alone makes up over 7% of the entire S&P 500. So if we get a correction from here where Apple goes 10% or 15% lower, which is certainly possible, the market is heading much lower. And again, if you think of Apple, Tesla, Amazon, uh, they all sell products that are discretionary products. Now, yes, they all have great brands. Uh, Apple and Amazon in particular are great businesses. But again, it doesn't take much if you have a few percent less people buy iPhones or a few percent less people start spending less money in the app store or start stop buying new cars or stop buying Amazon packages. Again, the markets can head much lower because the one thing that is held up relatively well for the markets to this point has been earnings.
But again, earnings can go much lower and multiples can go much lower. Now, the S&P 500 P.E. ratio, currently the S&P 500 is trading at 18.6 times earnings. Now, historically, that is very expensive. Now, we're down from about 36 times earnings last year. So again, the multiple has almost been cut in half over the past year. But again, we can head much lower. The multiples have been cut in half in the market because interest rates are going up. So if interest rates keep going up, the multiples are going to keep going lower. So even if earnings or stocks hold up, the market has to go lower from here. But if earnings start to decline and multiples continue to decline, again, the market has to go much lower, 20, 30 percent lower from here at least. But historically speaking, the S&P 500 typically trades anywhere from 12 to 14 times earnings. Right now, it's trading at 18.6 times earnings. So on a multiple basis, the S&P 500 is historically expensive still. On a price to sales basis, right now, the price to sales ratio on the S&P 500 is 2.28. Now, the average price to sales ratio over the entire history of the S&P 500 is 1.67, so much lower than the 2.28 level we're at now. The median price to sales level is 1.54, even lower. So half the time, the S&P 500 trades below 1.54 price to sales, and half the times it trades above that level. Again, we're much higher than that. We're at 2.28 we're about 50% higher price to sales. So again, even on that metric, the market is still historically expensive. Price to book also. Currently, we're at a 3.6 level price to book. The average is 2.95. The median is, 2.8, uh, is 2.80. So again, stocks are still incredibly overpriced here, especially the broad market as a whole. Yet again, we have individual investors are coming in and buying, thinking they're getting good prices. But the institutional investors, the smart money, they are selling. They are getting incredibly bearish. And again, as we have the economy go deeper into a recession and we have less people working because unemployment rates pick up, you have less people contributing to 401ks. That's less money coming into the market. You have earnings for businesses are going to come down. You have the multiple on the S&P 500 is going to continue to contract. All these headwinds are going to burden the markets moving forward. You know, it's actually possible that over the next decade that the markets actually generate close to no returns for the entire decade. Because again, not only are earnings going to come down, but multiples have to come down and stay down because interest rates are going to be much higher and stay much higher because inflation is going to be much higher. But this is exactly like the 2008 set up. And the reversal is going to be close to the same because what a lot of people don't understand about 2008, there's a lot of problems that caused the 2008 financial crisis, but it all stemmed from artificially low interest rates, which created a huge credit bubble in the economy. Now, right now, the bubble is not necessarily in housing alone, but the bubble in the economy is in both the US dollar and other fiat currencies in general. Right. There's a global debt bubble going on here. But for that reason, all asset prices, including houses, are in massive bubbles and they are starting to deflate. Again, this economy cannot handle higher interest rates. It cannot handle higher inflation because that means we need higher interest rates. And once you start start knocking down these debt dominoes, 
the economy starts to completely implode. So the markets can't handle higher interest rates. The housing market can't handle higher interest rates. And the economy certainly cannot handle higher interest rates because one person's spending is another person's income and everybody's spending is reliant on debt and the ability to be able to take on new credit to buy things, new credit to continue to buy houses, cars, consumer electronics, clothes, food. This credit bubble is going to implode and this is going to be a huge mess. Now, looking forward to next week, some of the economic data we're going to get on Tuesday, we have Fed Chair Powell is going to speak. Now, the discussion he's going to have is more going to be on digital assets, but we also get some economic data that comes in. We get durable goods orders, the uh, housing price index. We get new home sales, consumer confidence on Wednesday. We're going to get pending home sales month over month, and also we're going to have a few Fed members speak. On Thursday, we're going to get unemployment claims as we do every Thursday. And then on Friday, we're also going to get the core PCE price index, which is the Fed's preferred method for looking at inflation. So that is going to be a very important metric that comes out on Friday. There, the expectation is for a 0.5% increase. I expect that we're going to beat those expectations. And again, that's going to put more downward pressure on the markets. On Friday, we also get personal income and personal spending month over month. And again, those are very important to not only determine the price cost pressures for businesses, but also to determine how strong the consumer is holding up and how well businesses can pass those added costs on to customers. But again, the market has to head much lower from here. Now, I want to digress a little bit and talk about the bank CEOs that testified in front of the uh Senate Committee on Banking this week. And just a few points here, but whenever the bank CEOs go up to testify in front of Congress, which they typically do one or two times a year, it's usually just a showcase for Congress people to pander to the people who vote for them. And it really has nothing to do about the banking industry, and it more has to do with political correctness. But I just want to cover a few points. Um, one of the questions that the Congress people had to ask the bank CEOs is why they're not including uh, different types of uh, people with ethnic back backgrounds into leadership positions at the banks. Now, of course, when you're running a business, the last thing you want to do is appoint someone to a position simply because of their race, ethnic background, sexuality, or whatever. You want the best people who are qualified for the job to be in the leadership positions. So if the best qualified person to be the CEO of a company happens to be a white straight man, that is the person that you want running your company as the CEO. Now, if the best person for the job happens to be a black transgender woman, then that is also the same person you want running the job. It has nothing to do with race or ethnicity. Nothing in business happens has to do with that, right? But every time the CEOs come to do this, everyone looks at the CEOs and most of them happen to be white men, right? But they look at that and they say, look, your banks are not including diversity the way you should. And again, that should have nothing to do with business whatsoever. But the reality of the situation is, most of the people who go into banking happen to be white men. One, women typically tend to like to work with people. Men like to work with things. That's why men usually gravitate towards the financial field because you're working with things, not with people. You also have to understand that 
for the same reason a lot of uh, non-white people don't go into educated jobs is because a lot of the the uh, for example, the black community, they are not highly educated. And so how are you going to run a bank if you're not highly educated? So again, this is all a bunch of political correctness. I just wanted to point out the absurdity of this. But another point was that Rashida Tlaib questioned a lot of the bank CEOs on whether or not they're going to continue to lend money to oil companies and finance new oil drilling, to which they all said they will continue to do that. Again, it is not a bank's job to decide what is going to save the environment or save the climate. Their job is to fund businesses that have profitable ventures that can make money. And if it is in the best interest of people to buy oil, then oil companies are going to exist because they are going to be there to generate that profit. And if there is a profit there to be made, the banks are going to make that profit. But again, it just shows the absurdity and it shows the direction of the country and it's amazing to me that people think that the economy is going to get fixed or inflation is going to get fixed when Congress only cares about political correctness. They don't care about actually making the economy run well. They don't care about what the economy wants. They care about what their constituents and, the, and political correctness want. But again, the economy has never been less productive because of a lot of the regulations on banking and other business industries due to political correctness. Another reason for why the economy is having severe implications moving forward, both on a slowdown in the economy and on inflation. To wrap up, though, I want to get back to the S&P 500 and its weekly performance. Now, if we look across the board on the week, there were only 14 of 500 stocks in the S&P 500 that finished the week positive. Now, of those stocks, we had some in the food sector, so General Mills, Hormel, Kellogg, Campbell Soup, Smuckers, Hershey, Pepsi, Conagra Brands, and Lamb Weston. Those were the food companies that finished positive on the week. A couple of those I haven't even heard of, but again, if you think of most of them, they sell low-priced food items, General Mills, Hormel, Kellogg, Smuckers, Campbell Soup, right? Those are the value-oriented stocks that are going to hold up the best as we move forward. Again, as inflation continues, those companies can pass higher costs on to customers, and those companies are not going to lose sales volume because they sell products that people absolutely have to buy, and they sell products at the lowest price ranges in the stores. We also had Lennar and DR Horton, the two home builders, finish positive on the week. Again, that to me is just a dead cat bounce because they beat earnings on really low earnings expectations. So I don't expect that to move forward. Eli Lilly, the pharmaceuticals company, finished positive on the week. And then two industrial stocks finished positive on the week. And that's it. No other stock within the S&P 500 finished positive on the week. And that is the point I want to make. And the point I've been driving home is you need to own the value oriented stocks that sell products that people need that have the pricing power to pass higher costs onto their customers. And once investors figure out and recognize just how embedded inflation is in the economy and that this Fed's inflation fight is too little too late, they will be getting rid of the U.S. dollars they've been stockpiling and they are going to come in and buy these value-oriented stocks. Now, it should be recognizable, though, that the returns in the S&P 500 are going to be very minimal over the next decade. Because again, like I mentioned, not only are earnings going to be challenged for a lot of these companies, 
but multiples have to contract as we head into a higher interest rate environment. That again is going to put downward pressure on stock prices for the foreseeable future. But at least if you own the companies like General Mills or Hormel, uh, Smuckers, Hershey, these are companies that are able to pass added costs to customers. They have a long track record for producing earnings and for raising their dividends. So if you own General Mills, for example, you're collecting a 3% a year dividend. So even if the stock market is not making new all-time highs for the next several years, at least you're getting paid to wait. Whereas if you own stocks that are growth stocks with high multiples, you could be waiting an entire decade without any returns. Now, here's a perfect point to make on this. I'm, I'm looking at a chart of Google. Now, this year, Google is down 30% on the past 12 months. So right now, Google is trading at 18 times earnings. Now, Google is a great long-term business. However, a stock trading at 18 times earnings is very cheap when interest rates are at zero. When interest rates, though, are at three or four or five or six percent, a stock that trades at 18 times earnings that's as mature as Google is not really a bargain. Because again, stocks are worth the present value of all future earnings discounted to the current rate of interest. So the higher the current rate of interest is, the less valuable those future earnings become which means the lower the multiple on the business has to be. Now, the median uh, price to earnings ratio for Google in the history of the company has been 27. So half of the time that this stock has been publicly traded, the stock is traded at a multiple below 27, and half the time it's traded at a multiple above 27. Now, that's over 13 years. Now, the high watermark is... Uh, at the height of last year, Google was trading at 66 times earnings. Now, again, that is a multiple that Google is likely never going to see again. So if you're buying Google here, yes, you have a good business that can survive in the long term. But over the next five or six or seven years, it's likely that that mo current multiple of 18 is not going to expand. And when we look at that multiple, they are trading at 18 times trailing earnings. Now, as we move deeper into recession and there's less spend on cloud, less spend on advertising and marketing, that's where Google derives all of its revenues from. So their earnings are likely to contract in the next couple of years and their multiple is going to contract as well. So if you're buying this stock now thinking you're getting a bargain, I'm just warning you, it's likely that it's going to be several years before the stock reaches new all-time highs and before the multiple actually starts to grow again, especially if inflation is embedded in the economy, as I think it is, and interest rates are going where I think they are, which is well into the double digits. So again, you have a lot of individual investors think that they're getting bargains here when they're really not. Now, moving into the action in the oil and gold markets this week, Again, the dollar index finished the week above 113. It's making major moves against the euro and the pound. Now, the British pound weakness was a major catalyst for the dollar move on the week. Um, the dollar went up, one, because of the hawkishness and the commitment from the Fed and Jerome Powell to fight inflation and raise interest rates even higher. But also, Great Britain is imposing stimulative policies in their tax policies while their bank is trying to raise rates to tighten monetary policy. So their monetary and fiscal policy is out of whack. That's going to cause even more inflation in the future for the UK. And that is also helping the dollar to rise again on currency markets. 
And again, a stronger dollar, all else being equal, means that we have to have weaker oil prices and weaker gold prices because both of those commodities are priced in dollars. Now, again, gold and oil have gotten killed over the past couple of weeks. Oil, not only trading down on a stronger dollar, but trading down on recession fears as well. Again, oil has a completely strained supply in that market. So I expect oil prices are going to remain elevated for years. But especially once the dollar index starts trading lower and breaks this trend going higher, oil is going to start to go up and make new highs. Now, that might take a couple months. It might take a year. But oil prices are never going to return to 30 or $40 a barrel, in my opinion, at least not for the foreseeable future. And again, the reason that gold is getting hurt is because the dollar is getting stronger, but also because people are expecting that higher interest rates are going to kill this inflation problem off. A weaker economy, which is being signaled from the bond market, the, the inversions of the yield curve, are going to kill inflation, and that a weak economy means no more inflation in the future. Again, investors, traders have this all wrong. Once people figure out that no matter how severe this recession gets, inflation is going to continue to go up, they are going to start selling dollars and buying gold. And once we have such a severe recession that the Fed is forced to give up on its inflation fight, that is when you're going to see a major rally in the price of gold, a major rally in the oil markets, and a major, major drawdown in the dollar index. But we may get a few bear market rallies here in stocks. In fact, we might be primed for a bear market rally on Monday, tomorrow, uh, or a reversal Tuesday, because again, everyone is so bearish everywhere here. We had a lot of people getting on the bearish side of the trade on Thursday and Friday. And so there might be some room for a short covering rally or a relief rally. But again, the market has to head much lower in the next several months and really over the next several years. Either way, any rally in stocks, especially in growth stocks, is an opportunity to sell and an even better opportunity to short stocks for those of us that have the means to be able to short stocks. Now, since cash is uh, one of the best performing assets, candidly, over the year, shorting stocks has done well as well because that gives you exposure to be long the currency, long dollars. But for those of us that don't have the ability to short stocks, the best thing you can do is buy value-oriented businesses. Again, cash is going up now because the dollar index is going up, but we know intuitively cash is getting less valuable because inflation continues to go up and erode away the purchasing power of that cash. So you have to buy value-oriented businesses that can pass prices on to customers, and you have to do it before other investors figure out that this inflation problem is here to stay, because once investors figure that out, they are all going to flock to those value-oriented stocks, and you want to get into those stocks before everyone else figures this out. But this setup is bad in every way imaginable. This credit bubble is popped, and the markets are heading way lower as we head into the fourth quarter of 2022.